Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning. David, all these masks belong to me. So you'd be okay. You might be better. I don't know if you put on my mask. I don't know. Um, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, take your Bibles and let's open them to our text of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We are continuing in our group of lessons on um, our favorite parables. And this is where we find ourselves today. Now, last week, if you remember, we talked about the Good Samaritan. We talked about the importance of love and how we love our neighbors. And, and you know, as I said last week, that that particular passage was a timely passage considering some of the things that are going on in our nation. And I truly believe that as a church, we should never struggle to love. We shouldn't. If we have the Spirit of God living with us, loving should be something that we do naturally to anybody and everybody that we uh, encounter. Now, uh, that's the way it should be. Are we always going to be perfect in that way? No, not at all. And that's why lessons like last week are um, are very important. But this week, we're going to talk about the idea of faith together. So Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is, is telling several parables about a lot of different things. And in verse 31, it says, He told them another parable. This kingdom of God, of heaven, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. How many of you plant a garden? None of you? Two, three, four of you? What's the smallest seed that you plant? Just out of curiosity. Turnip seeds? Okay, turnip seeds. Who else got something different that they plant? Okra? Okay. You know, you, you, you plant these small seeds, and what does it end up doing? Growing and almost just kind of taking over if you don't watch it. You know, if you don't work it and you don't take care of it, you're going to have stuff spread everywhere. And, and that's the beginning of the image here. Jesus is wanting them to understand that if, if you have something as small as a seed, and, and, and in their time and even still today, if you see a mustard seed, it is very small. And he's talking about an amount of faith here. I want us to realize that. He's talking about an amount of faith. And he's talking about, is he talking about a large amount of faith? Or is he talking about a small amount of faith? In this particular text, he's telling us that a small amount of true and righteous faith accomplishes some pretty great things. Now, this is just something I thought of this week. It really doesn't pertain to any of our thoughts here. But what was it And when, when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and they thought that they were going to drown and they, he gets up and he calms the storm, what does he turn around and say to his disciples? Oh, you of what? Little faith. And forever, I've always thought of that as, as a cut down. You guys just don't get it. You don't have enough faith yet. But after studying this week, and after thinking about this particular passage and the smallness of the seed and the trueness of a little bit of real true faith will do a lot of amazing things, I'm starting to wonder, is he saying something else? Is he thinking about something else there? Is he really cutting them down the way that I've always thought? That's just kind of food for thought. 
He goes on to verse 32, though it is the smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 14 because he brings this illustration back out. Matthew chapter 14, I think I've got this written down right. No, I don't. I don't. That's okay. We'll get to it next time. But I can't, off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to tell you the exact book, chapter, verse because I've forgotten it right now because I didn't write it down. But what does he say? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll be able to move what? You'll be able to move mountains. So little faith is okay as long as it's true and as long as it's genuine. A lot of times in, in church, there we go. A lot of times in church, we talk about the idea of faith. If you had to define faith, how would you define faith? Somebody tell me, what is the, how does the Bible define faith? What does the Bible say faith is? Okay, I'm, I'm assuming that you're all quoting Hebrews 11 verse 1. Nod your head if that's what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. So if we go to the Hebrews 11 verse 1, we read this. It's from the NIV. Now faith is confidence in what we have or what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. If you look for the, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The English Standard says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the New Living Translation says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, those are all modern translations. Most of you grew up with this definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Raise your hand if that's the definition of faith that you've grown up with in your life. I absolutely love the way the King James translates Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 because of I, I, now listen, I love modern translations. You know that. I read from the New International Version when I teach. Um, uh, when I preach, that's just the Bible that, that I was brought up on. That's what they used in Savannah growing up, and it just became a habit for me. And, this, it's, and the main reason I use this particular Bible is because it's large print, and I can leave it right there and read it while I just stand here and talk. But the other kind of modern translations... They lack something in, in, the, in the way that they uh, define faith in Hebrews 11, the way that they translate this. I love Hebrews 11 and verse 1 from the King James because it tells me that my faith means something. My faith is not just a wishful hoping that something exists that I think that I believe in. What Hebrews 11 tells me is that my faith is a substance and the evidence that God exists. My faith is the substance and the evidence to the fact that God exists. When people see you, when people watch you, when they watch the way you live your life and you let your faith show, you are showing them the substance of what you believe in and the evidence that you believe there is a God. But what I'm afraid of is for many of us, for many of us, we have a, a yeah, I believe in God. It's just a thought kind of faith as opposed to my faith is a re realization that leads me to true action. You see, I believe that there is an easy faith. An easy faith. A faith that is about safety. 
We're going to live in a certain parameter in our faith. We're going to live in a certain box in my Christian life. I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm not going to be one of those fanatic Christians that believes that the Holy Spirit can empower me to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. I'm going to live a safe life. And because I'm living a safe life, my faith becomes about my attendance, not about my actions. As long as I'm at church, I'm going to be okay. As long as I show up when the doors are open, and hey, right now it's kind of easy because that's just an hour a week, you know, as long as I'm there when the doors are open, it's okay. I, I have heard so many people describe, they mean this in a good way, I do believe, but they, hey, you know what? They were there every time the doors were open. They said that about people in my family, They've probably said that about people in your family. But does church attendance define faith? No, it doesn't. Does church attendance divine, define salvation? No, it doesn't. If that is where you are, if it's all about just making sure I'm at church, then you're living an easy faith. Another thing about easy faith is pettiness. And there, I use pettiness because I couldn't think about any other word there, but an easy faith deals with what I want. It deals with what I want, how I want to live. I'm going to serve God the way that I want to serve instead of the way that God wants me to serve. This is, unfortunately, a way that a lot of Christians live. They live a life of easy faith. I believe there's a difference in easy faith and little faith. As Jesus is talking in our parable today, I don't think he's downing little faith as long as it's genuine, as long as it's true. But the question is, what does real faith, true faith look like? And I want to give you four things this morning, and you're going to go, go ahead and already see them. A couple of them you've heard me talk about before, and I want us to break these down and look at some scriptures together. So we, we bounce back and forth. Easy faith is about safety. True faith is about sacrifice. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 in the first few verses of this chapter is always very interesting to me. And I've gotten into some good discussions with people before. And I've gotten into some discussions that turned into more of arguments. Because a lot of times in our faith, in the churches of Christ, we like to talk about what worship is, and, we, and, and we, we center on this idea that worship is made up of some certain things, that it's made up of singing and praying and the communion and the offering and the reading of Scripture and, and our preaching. We, when we think of worship, we think of those things, okay? Paul's going to say something here that's a little bit, well, let me back up, that's a lot different than that. Okay, you see, if you live an easy faith, your worship is all about what happens in this building. When you live a true faith and you live a life of sacrifice, you're going to live what he says here. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, what does your Bible say right there? A living sacrifice. Let's, let's talk about sacrifice for just a moment. In the Old Covenant, if you wanted to be forgiven of a sin, what did you have to bring to the priest? You had to bring a sacrifice. There was a certain time of year that you would sometimes come and bring sacrifices for your family, this and that. But listen, the, when, you brought, when you brought a lamb to be sacrificed, if you really go back and you read, you, you read the, 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 the requirements of all this stuff, 
it's not like you just pick this random lamb and take it and sacrifice it. This is a lamb that you've had in your home that has become a pet, if you will, almost to your family. If you've got a baby lamb in your house and you have kids, how many of your kids would fall in love with that baby lamb? Raise your hand. How many of you would fall in love with that baby lamb? How many of you have a favorite animal that lives in your house? What if I told you that to, to be forgiven of your sin, you've got to take that lamb to the altar, you've got to slaughter it, which means kill it with your bare hands, and you have to lay it on that altar and offer it as a sacrifice to God? Would you do it? Or would you just go, hey, sinning doesn't sound too bad? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? That's what a sacrifice was. It was that challenging. It was something that you were attached to, that you had to put some effort into. And, he, and, and now Paul's fast-forwarding with that image in mind of Romans chapter 12. And he says, you've got to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You've got to give up the things that you love. You've got to give up the things that you hold the most dear and say, God, these things are not as important as my relationship with you. These things are not going to hold me back. And the things that tend to hold us back in our faith that keep us living in the safety zone are usually the things that bring us the most comfort, the things that bring us the most joy in this life. Okay, I mean, let, let's just talk about comfort for just a moment. Talk about comfort for just a moment. How many of you would be happy if I shut all the doors and turned the air conditioner off this morning? How many of you? How long would it take for some of you to get up and leave if I just kept preaching and preaching and preaching and there's no air on in here? It'd take a while. Some of you just get up and go pretty quick, wouldn't you? We are spoiled Christians in a lot of ways, aren't we? We are spoiled Christians. In a lot of ways, we have this beautiful auditorium to come and to worship in. And, and you know what? It is great and it is grand. We have to be careful that we don't allow it to get in the way of our faith, that we don't live in the safetiness of this place instead of the sacrifice of the way we're supposed to live to God. And look how he, how he qualifies this. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, if you're reading along with me, what does he say there? Your true and proper worship. This is how you bring honor and glory to God. This is how you show him how much you love him. You give up everything that you love. I'm not saying that you can't live in his blessings. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy the things that God gives you. I'm saying those things cannot define who you are. You have to be willing to give those things up and live solely for the way that God wants you to live. So we have to, if we're going to have great faith, or even little faith that does great things, we're going to have to live a life of sacrifice, not a safety. So we also say that easy faith is about attendance. True faith is about action. Go to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James is going to give us some words that many of you are familiar with. Many of you are familiar with in James chapter 2. I'll get there in my own Bible here in just a second. In James chapter 2, you got a group of people that are saying, hey, faith is about just saying, I believe in God. I believe in God. And James says, no, there's more to it than that. He starts in verse 14. What good is it, my brother and sister, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or actions? Can such a faith save them? 
I was listening to a guy this week. I like to listen to different ideas and thoughts and read different ideas and thoughts on Monday. And he made the point, and I thought this was interesting. Did you know it's possible to have a faith that condemns you? Think about that for a second, because that's what he's asking here. He goes, can such faith save you? If you have an easy faith that's just about attendance, that's just about the easy things, that faith doesn't save you. Rather, that faith condemns you. We have to be careful with that. He keeps going. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What's he talking about? He's talking about action here. I read this verse and I think about my great-grandmother. I think about my great-grandmother, Mama Rogers. Whether you were hungry or not, when you walked into her house, she was going to tell you that she loved you. She was going to ask you if you were hungry. And whether you were hungry or not, guess what she was going to do? She's going to feed you. And it was going to be good. What good would it have done if I had said, yeah, I'm hungry? And she just sat there and goes, well, okay. I mean, look at me. I get hungry in between bites. You know, it's just one of those things. I never left her house that she didn't give me $2 and feed me. That's how she showed she loved me. It was through action. And that's what James is saying here. He goes, what good does it do to say that you believe in God, but you don't do anything about it? Let's keep going. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, is, what's the word there if you're following along? Dead. There is a faith that leads to death. And it's an easy faith a faith that leads to salvation, a faith that leads you closer to God, a faith that leads you to eternity is a faith of action. It's being involved. It's talking to other people about who you believe God is. It's about sharing that faith. It is about letting that faith just, just push you in a direction that brings glory and honor to God. And I used to really struggle with, well, what does it mean to bring glory and honor to God? And then I got this image in my head one day, and this is how it makes sense to Matthew. It's when I live my life in a way that shines a spotlight on God. It doesn't shine a spotlight on me. It shines a spotlight on God. So when I'm doing things, I need to make sure that the things that I'm doing is shining a spotlight on God, not a spotlight on myself. That's what it means to live a life of action. You see, it's easy to go to church. Well, I say it's easy to go to church. We've got four kids. It's not necessarily easy to get here some mornings. But it's easy to just come and sit here and let everybody else do the work for you, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Think about it this morning. The most difficult thing you've done, as you've said in the pew this morning, is try to pull that wafer out of the top of that cup. That's the most difficult thing you've done all morning. What if that defined the actions of your faith this week? Think God's happy with that? That's a question you have to answer, not myself. But James says an easy faith leads to death. And that's not what I want for any of you. So sometimes an easy faith is about pettiness. It's about what I want when true faith is about prayer. You see, prayer is about seeking the will of God. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, over the last few years, has become 
probably my favorite letter that Paul writes in, in the New Testament. And I really enjoy the way he, Paul writes the last like three paragraphs of his letters almost right as if I've run out of time, I've run out of paper, and so I'm going to shoot some bullet points at you real quick so that you can remember some things. I want you to, I want you to hear these things, but I don't have enough time or, or whatever to write all these things down. And it makes great preaching points, great preaching points, because you can go, like, I mean, you look at chapter 5 and verse uh, 16, 17, and 18, there's point 1, 2, and 3, the perfect scriptural sermon, right? Actually, all you need to add to it's a poem. That's what Billy Smith always said. Three points in a poem will be the most scriptural sermon you ever preach. Here's what he says. He goes chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray continually. Pray continually. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to pray continually? I think we could define it in a lot of different ways, but I think at its core, it means to live a life of prayer. That prayer is your default response. That when you see something great happening, when you see something amazing happening in front of you, the first thing you do is you stop and you praise God with a prayer of praise and you thank Him for that. When you have a brother and sister that's struggling with something, and they call and they, they, they share that with you. Instead of waiting, listen, instead of waiting and praying for them later, you pray with them and for them right then on the phone. You live a life of prayer where prayer is your default answer to everything that you do. It's your default answer. It's where you go first. And he says, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of us in our life, we try to figure out what is it that God wants for us? What does God want for us in our life? And here he tells us that one of the things that he wants for us is to live a lifestyle of prayer. You see, when you live a lifestyle of prayer, when prayer is your default when it's what you go to first, when you're struggling, when a brother and sister is struggling, when you're thankful, when you're nervous, when you're scared, when you're anxious, when you're worrying, if prayer is the first thing you do, then the petty things that we deal with in a church, they disappear very quickly. Because when we make our focus what God wants, then we're going to quit focusing on what we want. When we see the way that God answers prayers and how awesome they are, we're going to quit worrying about how I can solve a problem and what I get. Because when Matthew solves a problem, it's not always going to be great, is it? I can solve a problem and still have half people mad at me. You ever have that type of problem solving? You solve a problem, but you've created more problems. That happens sometimes, right? See, when God solves problems, He doesn't create more problems. We may get aggravated that the prayer is not answered the way we want it answered, but that's because we're living an easy faith and not a true faith. You see, when we live a lifestyle of prayer, it changes our focus. It changes the direction in which we think and act. And so we make it about God and not about what we want. And then the last thing is that true faith is a lifestyle of discipleship. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's not anything that starts with a D under easy faith and we do have a D under true faith, and that's just because I couldn't think of a word to go there. But what I want you to know this morning is true faith is about living a life of discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, go with me and let's read the final words of Jesus. Matthew 
chapter 28. And this is where Jesus ends. He says, all authority, verse 18, all authority has been given on heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, I think that's an important verse that we kind of read through and jump to the Great Commission, but I think it's important because that's the reason he's given us, giving us this commission. He's telling us, look, all authority has been on heaven and earth has been given to me. So what he could have said, all this authority has been given to me, now bow down to me. You have no choice but to worship me. Could Jesus have done that in that, morn, in that moment? If he had all the power and all the authority in heaven and on earth, could he have looked at his apostles in front of him and everybody else to come and said, you have no choice but to worship me? Could he have done that? Absolutely. But what does he really want? He doesn't want forced obedience. He wants loving obedience. I'm going to follow you because I love you. I love it when my kids do things just because they realize it's the right thing to do as opposed to the fact that I've gotten on to them for three days and now they're going to decide to do this. He wants loving obedience. He said, because I've got all this authority, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm challenging you with. He goes, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. You know, a lot of times in our, in our Christian dialect, we talk about everybody's a Christian. And then sometimes we reserve that word disciple for those who may go above and be, man, they're a true disciple of Christ. Look at all the stuff they're doing. They're a true disciple of Christ. But in the words of Jesus, before we were ever called to be Christians, we're called to be disciples. He said, I want you to go make a disciple. And the way you do that is by baptizing them and teaching them all these things. But we are to be disciples for Christ. And you know you know that that is a subject that is very important to me. And that is something that I find very important in my ministry and that I want to be a defining factor of our church. Now, we've kind of run into a rough patch of not being together. It's kind of hard to create true disciples when, when you're so uh, isolated from each other. But as we're coming out of this time of isolation, this is something we're going to get back into and living in a more powerful way as a church family because if we're going to have true faith, we have to live a true discipleship lifestyle. It's not going to define the greater Christians among us. It's going to define all of us, that that is who we are. I don't know about you, but I want to have, we're not going to sing yet. I want to have a true faith. I want to have a faith that is about sacrifice. I want people to look at me and see that my actions define who I am, not what I say. Because one of the things you'll learn about me real quick, if you hadn't already, is I talk a lot. I talk a lot. It's what I get paid to do for half of my job is to talk. But I don't want my words to define me. I want my actions to define me. I want us to live a life of prayer. I want us to be a church that when we pray, just like in the book of Acts, we rattle the roof. That was how powerful the prayers were of the apostles in the book of Acts, is that when they prayed, they caused an earthquake. That's the type of prayer life I want us to have, and I want us to be true disciples of Christ. As we close our thoughts together this morning, let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be with you, with this group of people. I thank you for the love that is here. I thank you for all about, I thank you for all the, the, the just blessings that you share and shower upon us every day. Help us to use those blessings as motivation to serve you even greater, God. God, I, I just hope and pray that we are 
that we are a church that is defined by our faith, by a true faith, God, a saving faith, a convicting faith that changes this community. And God, as we are in a challenging time, help us to not allow the challenges to define us, but the way that we handle those challenges to define us, God. Allow our actions, God, to be our defining factor. I thank you for everyone here today. I thank you for what they mean to you and what they mean to me, God. Just bless all of us, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if there's anything you need as far as spiritual assistance, if you want to live out what Jesus commanded there in in Matthew chapter 28 and become a disciple and have your sins washed away through the waters of baptism, we give you that opportunity this, this morning. If you just want to live a stronger faith and want us to pray with you about that this morning, then come as we stand and sing together. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.